Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. Oh, it's good to be here. It's good to be some uh, tops of faces that I'm familiar with and some other tops of faces that I don't recognize, and that may be because I can't see the rest of you, but uh, it's really good to be here. Lately, I've been thinking about getting old. Anybody else having that same thought? Okay, a few hands go up. Okay, well, if you're not thinking about it now, wait. It'll, it'll, be, it'll come eventually. I think probably what's been going on with me is I'm about to celebrate my 79th birthday. Whoa. And 79th birth, 79 reminds me a little bit of 29 because it's kind of the end of a decade. And you realize you're not going to be, if you're in your 20s, 20 any longer. And it's time to move out of your parents' basement and maybe get a real job. Well, when you're 79, my thoughts are, hey, you know what? I think I might want to live into my kid's basement, and I might get a job at Walmart as a greeter. Anyway, so I've been thinking a lot about uh, my life uh, over the years, and um, especially thinking about what a difference um, I've warned a few people this happens to me frequently, so I'll just let it go. Um, but what a difference it's made for me to put my faith in Jesus. It's been 57 years now. And um, there's, a, there's a verse in Scripture that I want to share with you that's kind of the overall theme. And I think we're going to get it up on my, above my head here. There it is, yeah. And so this describes, as I look back at my life, what it's been like. So let me just read that. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. The word that the writer uses there, way, is also translated path. And so I believe that God has put me on a path. And back when I was 21... I had no idea it was coming. Uh, if you know me at all, you've heard the story that I was an uh, evangelistic agnostic. I thought that Christianity was Santa Claus for adults. You know, something to believe in that wasn't true, but it made you feel better. And so I was very vocal about my unbelief, about my skepticism. And um, that was my way of life. <clears throat> and I just thought it was kind of heroic that I would face reality that there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell. Um, just live your life now and, and get over it. And so that was kind of my philosophy, and I was very vocal about it. And uh, that was kind of how I lived my life. Until I met some Christians. Um, this was in actually California. And I had not uh, met anybody quite like them. They were totally not my stereotype of Christians. Um, before that time, the Christians would say, well, you just have to believe. And I remember about that, that I felt like that was intellectual suicide. And these people weren't like that at all. They took my, my questions seriously. They weren't put off by my skepticism. They were <clears throat> smart. A lot of them were uh, graduates or in, in uh, grad school at Stanford. One of them was getting his Ph.D. at that point. 
And so, but they applied their intellect to their faith. And I had never met Christians like that. I'd grown up in the Midwest. And so maybe California's a little different that way. But uh, these people totally blew my stereotype. And, um, <clears throat> and so maybe most important um, was that they loved me. And um, that was kind of a novel experience for me. Uh, I felt so welcomed and so loved in spite of my skepticism. Here I was, a total pagan, and uh, it made no difference. They were still receiving and accepting me, and, uh, and I could tell they loved each other as well. And it just kind of struck me as this is so different than what I think of Christian, what I thought of Christians at that point. So after a month of interaction with them, it occurred to me that neither they or I could prove that God was real. That was my problem. I didn't want to believe something that wasn't true. And so it occurred to me that, well, they can't prove it. I can't prove he doesn't exist. But then the strange thought was, well, if God is who they say he is, he can prove himself to me. And I thought, well, that's a novel thought. You know, this God that they believe in is real, then that shouldn't be a problem for him to convince me that he is who he is. And so with great hesitancy and great reluctance, I finally said to God, if you're there, I'm willing to follow you. But I'm not going to psych myself into believing you're there. You need to, and again, it wasn't a demand. It was just like, I need this. You need to show me you're real and that your love is real. And, as you might have guessed, <laughs> he answered that prayer. And I won't go into it now. It, was, it wasn't the way I was expecting. So I won't go there. But um, after about nine months, I knew that God was real. And I knew that uh, he had called me uh, to himself. And that um, he'd given me a path to walk on. And I want to say, I, I started out so dark. And I can't imagine anybody having a darker dawn than I had. Um, uh, after I, I told one of the Christians that I had come to Jesus, and he said, well, aren't you glad you're not going to hell? And my response was, well, I don't believe in hell. And I don't even know if there's heaven. And he was kind of shocked and I said, well, I, if, if there's heaven, that's great. That's kind of an extra added attraction. But I want to follow Jesus because that's going to give me a life that's worth living and uh, give me meaning in life, which is something I was really looking for. I didn't even understand forgiveness. It was kind of like, well, if Jesus says it's important, I guess it's important. Uh, but I was a little bit of a sociopath. Um, <laughs> I didn't feel guilt about much. Um, and so... The whole idea of forgiveness, it was like, oh, well, show me. If that's important, and I'm going to tell you now, it is important, by the way. <laughs> but I'm just talking about how dark my, my vision was. It was like before dawn, really. It was like darkness. And yet God rescued me. And so I look back after 57 years and say, what an incredible surprise it was that I, of all people, would follow Jesus and that I, of all people, 
would be walking this path where things get brighter and brighter and brighter. And by the way, they're still getting brighter. Um, don't, don't expect after 57 years that you'll have it all figured out. I'm still, I'm, I'm totally believing in heaven. I'm still working on hell right now. Then we'll get that worked out. But uh, <clears throat> it's getting brighter and brighter. The more I walk with Jesus, the more I understand the life that he's given me and the life that he's offering to all of us. So the big question I want to ask now is, so how do we stay on this path? Because I believe God's given us all a path to walk on. If you put your faith in Jesus, you have a path that God has for you. And so the question is, well, how do you stay on that path? And so the next passage I want to go to is actually in Proverbs as well, the uh, chapter before, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where he explains, how do you stay on the path that God has given you to walk on? And there the writer says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And it's the same word, path. He will direct your path is another translation. He will just give you discernment of how to stay on that path. But the thing I want to point out, he doesn't say believe in the Lord Jesus or believe in God. He says, trust in the Lord. And there's a whole lot of difference between belief and trust. There's a lot of people who think they're Christians because they believe in God and they believe in Jesus and they think that, that what he did was true. But James says, even the demons believe in God and Jesus and shudder. <laughs> they don't trust God and Jesus. They're doing their own thing. And I feel a lot of people who call in the name of Jesus, who say they're Christians, are basically putting their confidence in believing in God, but not trusting him. The difference between belief and trust, if you trust something, you put your weight on it. If I, I can believe that, a, that that chair is going to hold me up, but I don't trust it until I sit in it. The same is true with faith, is that you need to trust God. And that shows that it's going to show up in the way you live your life. It's going to make a big difference in how you conduct yourself. I'm going to get into that in just a minute. So the question, though, is, well, what do I need to believe about God? What do I need to trust God for? And the next verse I want to go to is Psalm 103. Again, something I've been reflecting on for the last couple of months. And a lot of times I'll hone in on a scripture, and I keep going back to it week after week and day after day, and this is one I've been, on, been writing for some time. There, David says, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. He's the kind of father that we all need to have. Many of us had fathers that were not compassionate or not tender. Um, my father became, my earthly father became an adversary to me as I became a teenager. And so having a father uh, that loved me and was compassionate and tender was a novel concept. And it's something I've been learning over the last 50 some years. That if I trust God, then I trust him to be a loving and tender father who cares about me. And if that's the case, if he really is that way, then I can trust that his will is better than mine. And that's really the bottom line with, uh, I think, 
following Jesus is do you really believe, do you really trust that he loves you and that his will is better than your will? Another way of putting that is that if you want to follow Jesus, you can't be your own God. You can't make up your own, you can't decide how you're going to live your life. You need to turn that over to the Lord. Okay, so my next question is, so how do we know what God's will is? And I've got five really simple things to say here, so I'll give you the number so you know we're, we're coming down to the end here soon. <clears throat> These are the five things that God has used in my life to help me stay on the path. And again, I want to say, I've not always stayed on the path. I've drifted off into darkness. Uh, I think all of us do that from time to time. But when I remember... <laughs> that God's will is better than mine. When I remember that God really cares about me, then I come back. And so if you've strayed away, um, God hasn't, doesn't rebuke us. He just calls us back, welcomes us back. So the first thing that I have learned and believed with all my heart is that God's will never contradicts Scripture. A good example of that is how to respond to people who hurt us or who betray us. Paul is really clear in Romans 12. He says, never take vengeance on those who, who do evil. Never take vengeance. Leave the vengeance to me, God says. But love those people who've treated you badly. It's like, wow, that's so counterintuitive to me. That's something that I would have never dreamt in my own life. Uh, vengeance is the way of life. Uh, especially men, but I think women as well. And so the scripture says that if I want to stay in the, on the path that God's given me, then I need to forgive those who've hurt me, who've betrayed me, who've sinned against me. The second way that God has shown me to stay on the path is to listen to other believers who speak the truth and love to me. Several years ago, Gail and I were having a, a recurring conflict about money. And so I agreed to go to a counselor to see if we could get this worked out because we kept having this ongoing argument. And so we sat down with this Christian counselor that I'd never met before, but she seemed like a sharp enough lady. And, and uh, we explained our problem to her. And at one point she turned to me and she says, well, Mark, he says, it sounds like money is an idol for you. And it just kind of <laughs> knocked me out of my chair. Because uh, as a teacher, I've always believed that, that idols are things that you put your confidence in, that you trust those things and, and find your, your security in those. And I'd never thought money as being an idol for me, but I, I just thought I was being frugal or being, being responsible. Uh, and my wife was really a spendthrift. And, um, and when she said that, it just kind of shot me in the heart. That took away the conflict. <laughs> it's interesting when you, repent, when you repent from an idol, God uses that to bring peace and joy. And I've been struggling still. I mean, Gail's still much more generous than I am, much more loose with our, our finances. But I'm following her example. I'm trying to be more like her. I feel like God's put her in my life for that reason so that I'm not so uptight about my finances. So God uses other believers to speak the truth in love. And this lady was so loving, and she was so honest. 
and we need that from one another. And that's one of the benefits of when we pray for each other. A lot of times God will speak to us when we're praying for somebody else and say, here's what's going on. And if we're bold and, and honest and loving, God uses that to, sh- to keep us back, get us back on the path that he's called, he's called us to. The third way that God has used to keep me on his path is through surprising thoughts that come to mind either when I'm talking or when I'm praying. Things that uh, one of my mentors just say, sometimes God gives you a word of knowledge and it's our word of wisdom. It's something that you wouldn't have thought of and it comes out of your mouth and you say, oh, that was, that was much smarter than me. <laughs> Several years ago, Gail and I were, were uh, talking about the fact that we've got grandchildren all over the country and we had two in, in uh, San Diego at that point and two in, in the Bay Area and, and two up here in Vermont. And I just said spontaneously, I said, oh, well, if we're going to move to one of our, where our grandkids are, we need to move to where our oldest ones are because they're kind of in jeopardy and they've actually issues and they're just starting high school. So this is our last opportunity to live near them. And so as soon as I said that, it was like both of us knew that God was calling us to Vermont, of all places. <laughs> and uh, I grew up in Iowa, so I felt like I'd done my, had my quota of snow in and, and winter. And uh, so Vermont, Vermont did not appeal to me, uh, sort of geographically, or um, meter, what's, it, what's it called? Uh, meteorology. Yeah, thank you for that word anyway, that one. <laughs> and yet God has blessed us in Vermont in ways that we were totally, totally surprised by. We love this church. We love Vermont. We love living here. And um, it's never proof that God's will is better than our will. That when he speaks and directs us and we follow him, it's even better than we would have done ourselves. So God speaks to us that way. And fourthly, God uses circumstances to to direct our path. Um, A year ago, April, back in 2020, we presumed we were going to be moving to San Diego because our, our kids up here have uh, moved away and uh, we've got our youngest grandkids in San Diego and so we just assumed that we'd be selling our house and moving to San Diego and then something happened <laughs> like whoops <laughs> pandemic and so here we are and we're so happy to be here and we know that this is where God has us and uh, uh, another thing my mentor said was old orders are good orders. He called us here, and so we're staying until he shows us otherwise. And so, but he uses circumstances to direct our path and keep us on his path. And finally, the last thing I want to say about how God leads is he actually speaks to us. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are traveling west uh, through what is now Turkey and central Turkey. And they decide they're going to head south from where they are to preach to the churches that are, or to the cities that are down south of them. And the Holy Spirit tells them no. And so they say, okay, well, we'll go north then. And the Holy Spirit says, no. <laughs> and so as Paul and Silas keep traveling west and they end up in uh, a seaport of Troas, uh, which is on the, now would be on the very eastern edge of Turkey. And... Um, they get there, and they go to bed, and in the middle of the night, Paul has a dream. And he has this dream of this Macedonian soldier that's saying, please come over here, come over here, preach your gospel, your, the good news over here. And he wakes up, and he says, oh, I guess God wants us to go 
to Macedonia, which is across the Aegean Sea uh, from Troas. So if you looked at the map, you see that God was leading them all the way to Macedonia. They just didn't know it. They were just going west uh, on, their mission, on their missionary journey, and God directed them clearly. It doesn't say how, other than when it gets to the dream part. <laughs> well, God still speaks that way today, through dreams, through visions, through words, through words that come out of your mouth. God still gives us wisdom when we need it. As we, if, if we turn to him. So the last passage I want to end with is James uh, 1, 5 and 6, where James says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Now, the wisdom he's talking about here is not philosophical wisdom. The word that he's using here is the kind of practical wisdom, the kind of pra- the wisdom that you get by watching a YouTube on a, on a do-it-yourself project. You watch it and say, oh, that's how I do that. Oh, yeah, that's where that bolt is. That's, that's how I do that job. That's the kind of wisdom God gives us. All we need to do is ask. And if we ask, he's generous. He's a loving, caring father, and he doesn't leave us adrift. And, again, sometimes it's, you mean to wait, but if we ask God for wisdom, the promise is he'll give it to you. So to summarize what I'm saying this morning is God has a path for each one of us. If you put your faith in Jesus, then he has a path for you, and he wants you to walk on it, not just for his glory, not just for his sake, but for your sake. And he will show you the path if you trust him, if you put your weight on the truth that he's a loving father and he knows better than you know about how you should live your life and he will bless you uh, with his grace and with his love so I'd like you to stand now and uh, I'm going to pray for you and I think the worship team is going to come up with another song that we can sing together Lord thank you that You are a loving, caring Father. That you're gentle with us. That you're compassionate. You know that we're weak. We get confused. You know that we're prone to wander, as the old hymn would say. But you continue to pursue us and love us. So I thank you for that promise. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would use that to um, keep us on track. If we've fallen away or if we've stepped aside, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes to what you have for us and give us just that mustard seed of faith, Lord, to really believe what Jesus has said, what the scripture says about who you are and the kind of father you are to us. So we just commit ourselves to you again in Jesus' name. Listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com.